0: I invite you to take a Bible and to open with me to Acts chapter 15 tonight. Uh, We'll be picking up where we left off at Acts chapter uh, 15, verse 36, but then reading through uh, Acts chapter 16 as well. That's a longer portion of text, but an engaging passage, and I invite you to uh, attend to it uh, and to listen carefully to God's word. Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them To the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for uh, And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up, To Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the Gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and followed de- and the following day to ne- Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed There was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, With rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he, threw his, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. uh, took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and and he was baptized at once he and all his family and then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God but when it was day the magistrates sent the police saying Let those men go. And the jailer reported those words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The church in every age has to wrestle with its relationship to the places and the cultures in which God places us. Luke, in telling the story of the early Christians, he does this throughout uh, the book of Acts. Over and again, we see the gospel entering into new places received by new people and we find this remarkable combination in Acts. The gospel is at the same time unsettling and renewing within culture. The gospel is disruptive. Here in Philippi, Paul and Silas will disturb the Roman status quo, the Pax Romana, the gospel disrupts and yet not in the way that the opponents of Paul and Silas will claim. Not by way of political sedition or by inciting disorder, disrupting the city, not by way or by means of seizing earthly power. Luke will have us in this next next stretch of Acts he will have us see over and over the innocence, the the righteousness of Paul and Silas and of early believers as they bear witness to Christ, even in public courts. The gospel is unsettling, somehow though also renewing. And so we are... Provoked by a passage like this, provoked and prodded to wonder just what gives the gospel and gospel ministry its unsettling and its renewing power. In our text, we first find this transitional passage, the end of 15 and the beginning of chapter 16, looking back and at the same time looking forward, but it has the effect of displaying for us the the forward momentum of of the gospel. The Jerusalem council has just met, uh, and with Gentiles streaming into the church, the council had considered, what what will it mean for Gentiles to join the people of God? And they determined that for Jew and Gentile alike belonging to God and experiencing his salvation, it comes through faith in Christ alone, apart from works of the law. There would be no need for Gentiles to submit themselves to circumcision or to the ceremonial laws of Moses. And so our passage, it looks back on that decision and we find Paul returning to previous churches. Syria, Cilicia, places like Derby and Lystra, communicating that determination uh, reached by the apostles and elders and strengthening the churches. It looks back. But then also this opening passage, it moves us forward toward new initiatives uh, for the gospel. It explains for example how Paul came to be a coworker with Silas, how Timothy joined them in their labors. And so first there is this conflict uh, with respect to John Mark. He's a former companion of Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary effort and he had abandoned them in chapter 13 early in that effort Uh, and here we see, we, we observe once again in Acts that it's often trial and it's often difficulty that opens a new phase of gospel ministry. Here, it's an unresolved conflict Paul and Barnabas unable to reconcile over John Mark. And through this, Luke reminds us that it's through the spirit of God who we see leading uh, Paul and Silas in a number of ways in this passage. It's through the spirit of God working through flawed individuals, sinners, that the gospel advances, the Spirit of God moves the mission of God. So even here, the the Spirit uses this sharp conflict, human failing, uh, to to start to, uh, to begin two missionary efforts instead of one. But Paul departs with Silas and then enters Timothy And what might surprise us about Timothy, given what's just been settled at the Jerusalem council, is now this decision in uh, chapter 16, verse 3, for him to be circumcised. But here we see the missional motive that, that moves Paul. Once it is settled, that circumcision is not necessary for salvation, Paul is willing that Timothy be circumcised in order to to avoid a stumbling block for the gospel. This moment might remind us of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about his own ministry. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant of all, uh, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. And so we observe this missional impulse and the forward momentum of this story. And then our story seems to pick up one more character. In 1610, there's a change. Everything before now, uh, the, the forms of the verbs have been like this. They went, they proclaimed, they encouraged. Now our narrator says, and when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia. And we realized that our narrator himself has been swept up in the expansion of the gospel. We feel the forward momentum of the gospel, the people and circumstances for a new mission uh, are coming into place. And the desire is there to see the gospel moving into new places. And then finally, the Spirit leads Paul and Silas into this work in Macedonia, and specifically, Philippi. Well, if the beginning of this story gives us a sense for the forward momentum of the gospel, Philippi, gives us a beautiful illustration of what the gospel does as it enters, into, uh, enters new places, as, as it meets and transforms hearts and lives, houses and cultures. The gospel meets and it changes hearts and lives. Luke gives us these vivid portraits of individuals in Philippi who are dramatically changed. And so first, there's Lydia, already a, a worshiper of God, probably a convert to Judaism. And Paul and Silas meet her uh, at, a, at a prayer meeting, a gathering of Jews down by the riverside. And as Paul spoke to, of Christ to Lydia, we read this. The Lord, that is, I think we should read Jesus, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. We might well think of another story from the Gospel of Luke, one of the final scenes of Luke's Gospel when the resurrected Christ appears to his astonished disciples and he shows them How everything in scripture, the law, the psalms, the prophets, how everything was pointing toward the suffering and and the death and the resurrection of Christ, of himself. And the proclamation of forgiveness through him. And Luke in that scene says, Christ opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And we're we're encountering the same work of Christ here with Lydia and if we know ourselves this should be a hope-giving moment for us as we uh, a hope-giving moment as we that we see with Lydia if we know ourselves and we realize how how imperceptive we can be to toward God's word and, and toward God's work. You know, maybe in a rare moment of self-awareness, we, we realize how prone we are to ignoring God's word and work. And then this line, it catches us. It shows us God's grace. The Lord opened her heart. And we're reminded that God himself in Christ changes The heart. And then another dramatic scene comes. This demon possessed servant girl, she's a slave, we could say, in two senses that she's possessed by a demon, exploited by her human earthly masters. But uh, with her, too, we witness the transforming power of God's word in Christ. And so Paul says to her, in the name of Jesus Christ, invoking the the saving power in Christ's person and work in the name of Jesus Christ, and he commands the spirit to come out. And then finally, as uh, as that act stirs up uh, a furious response from the girls' uh, masters and with this gathering of a mob and the throwing of Paul and Silas in prison, we encounter the third portrait, this Philippian jailer. Uh, He, too, is transformed from the heart. What must I do to be saved, he asks. And Luke says, they spoke the word of God to him, and then we read his response of joyful faith, and it says he rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. In each case, we find hearts and lives dramatically, powerfully transformed. And then even more as this gospel makes inroads into Philippi, we find households changed, a culture unsettled, potentially renewed. With these individuals, Luke gives us a pattern. Uh, the, the new life worked in them through the gospel doesn't just reach them as individuals, but it embraces their households, their homes. And so here's the pattern. We've seen it before in Acts, these, uh, these household baptisms and um, it's it's true. These these help us to think theologically about baptism, about infant or and household baptism. But I want us to see something just a bit different tonight. And what I want us to see is especially this. Look at Lydia and at uh, chapter 16, verse uh, 15. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my household and stay. And we have home in our translation, but it's the same word. And then again, the the household of the Philippian jailer is baptized, and once again we read this. Then he brought them, Paul and Silas, he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them. And I want us to see this. These households baptized become hosts to Paul and to the Christian mission. These households baptized become hosts to Paul and to the Christian mission, places consecrated for kingdom service, for fellowship. For witness, And so we've already seen this in Acts, verses like this at the beginning of Acts. The, we, we saw the activity of the church, and here's how it was described. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Or again, chapter 5, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. One more. Paul, to the Ephesians, he speaks of how he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable and teaching them in public and from house to house. These baptized houses become one of the central sites for Christian mission. In his book, uh, Evangelism, Evangelism in the Early Church, Michael Green, he, he writes, one of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity was by use of homes. And in this story of Acts, we are often impressed by the powerful by the signs and wonders. But we should see this too. Homes, baptized, renewed, made into sites for gospel witness with, with all that was involved in the ancient household, that web of relationships, relatives and servants and clients and friends, neighbors and associates. The gospel changes hearts. And claims and renews homes, and then too, it has this unsettling, but I want to say potentially renewing cultural effect. Pastor Larry has already uh, in preaching through Philippians, he has described how Philippi was a uh, had the status of a Roman colony, and so that Roman culture would have been. Uh, pervasive and powerful influence here in Philippi. But especially in the middle of the story, with the release of this slave girl from demonic oppression, especially here we find the gospel unsettling a local culture. In freeing this girl, Paul cuts off a source of income for her masters who have exploited her abilities in, in divination for personal gain and we'll soon see something similar in Ephesus but for Luke is showing us cultures and economies whose profits arise from demonic, from idolatrous, idolatrous practices and he is showing us the unsettling effect of the gospel. Here's how it gets put in our passage, verse 20 through 21. The slave owners bring Paul and Silas to the magistrates and they say, these men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And we've recently heard Paul will eventually write to the Philippians Our citizenship is in heaven. From it, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. These individuals, Lydia, the unnamed slave girl and Roman jailer, all members of Roman culture, they now live in that culture in their various stations and callings as citizens of another kingdom. So we're encouraged I think, by the the momentum of the gospel in this passage. It's it's movement into new places and and reception by new people. And we rejoice seeing the transforming power of the gospel, hearts and lives, households and cultures. And then we return to our question. What makes this gospel ministry so great? How does the gospel have its effect? Unsettling. Renewing. And the answer here, as everywhere in Acts, is intensely personal. That is, it's not this or that doctrine primarily, but it's this, that in this gospel ministry, we encounter Jesus at work. And so we've done this before in Acts, but I now want us to see the the reverberations of of Christ's own ministry of uh, things he did in the gospel and to see them reverberate here in the ministry of Paul and Silas. We already saw uh, Jesus opening the heart of Lydia even as the resurrected Jesus had opened the minds of his disciples. But now notice some other ways. We Some other ways that we see Christ in his disciples, in Paul and Silas. The whole scene with this demon-possessed girl, uh, it echoes any number of scenes from, from the Gospels. And so in the Gospels, what happens when Jesus confronts a demon? They cry out. They, they cry out, so, uh, one example from Luke's gospel, the demon cries out to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Or uh, another crying out, you are the Son of God. These demons, they, they encounter Christ and they speak the truth of Christ's identity. His authority is so plain, they can hardly ignore or deny it. But Christ always rebukes them, drives them out. And that is just what we see here. This demon-possessed girl follows Paul and Silas, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She, she cries out the truth until Paul commands uh, the, the Spirit, come out. And we see then the marks of Jesus' ministry, his confrontation and and his defeat of demonic forces. We glimpse then Jesus' own disruptive ministry, confronting, unsettling. But we glimpse another side of Jesus' ministry as well, this scene with Paul and Silas imprisoned and released, it's nothing less than a death and resurrection scene. In Paul and Silas, we glimpse Jesus suffering, buried, risen. First, there's the way that Paul and Silas are beaten, beaten with rods, And Paul and Silas, they share in the suffering of Christ. When Paul speaks at the close of the chapter, uh, uh, objecting to their quiet release, he says, Look, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned. And we can only think of the innocent, righteous suffering, the humble suffering of Christ now belonging to the followers of Jesus as well. And then their jail cell, it becomes a kind of tomb. Verse 23 says, the magistrates threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. To keep them securely. And why that concern? Why that concern to keep them safely? It's it's the very wording that we get in the Gospels when the magistrates worry over the body of Jesus in the tomb. It's twice repeated in Matthew's telling, the Jewish leaders say to Pilate, order the tomb to be made secure. And Pilate says, go make it as secure as you can. The language is the same. The magistrates in Acts commanding the the jailer, keep them secure. The, The jail cell is a tomb. But now think how both of these stories end. Again, here's the Gospel of Matthew. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. and again, recall our story of, of in Acts, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. In both stories, the guards are scared to death. In Matthew. at the appearance of the angels, the guards tremble with fear and become like dead men. In Acts, our jailer, it says he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. See, we witness not only the power of Christ's work in Paul and Silas, their confronting of demonic powers, but Even here, we see the very shape of Christ's death and resurrection becoming theirs. We see in them the self-giving love of Christ's death. It belongs to Paul and Silas in their imprisonment. And we see in them, even in their imprisonment, the joy of his resurrection. Here is the gospel word that in God's purpose is expanding and reaching more and and more people. Here is the gospel word that is able to renew hearts and lives, households and cultures. Here is the gospel word which unsettles and renews. Why? Because here we come to know Jesus, the power of his death, the joy of his resurrection. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we rejoice in this gospel that has found us, that has Confronted and unsettled us in our sin and lostness, and through your Spirit has also renewed with new life. We rejoice this night to see the power of your gospel once again embodied and expressed in Christ our Savior. Thank you for the way that through your Spirit you continually stir up uh, love for Christ in our hearts, for the way that you, having opened our eyes, continue to give us a deepening knowledge of and love for Christ. And we pray, Lord, that even as we, as individuals, as members of households, as uh, persons, seeking to be faithful in our place we pray that even as you have claimed us through your word through your gospel that you would also make us uh, faithful participants in in the mission that you have in the world lord we're thankful that our confidence in the growth of Uh, of that mission and in the expansion of your gospel rests not in ourselves but in the unsettling and in the renewing power of Christ our Lord and we pray in his name and say together Amen